Welcome everyone back to another episode of Shares Not Shoes, an insider's guide to careers in finance. I'm your host, Camilla Love, founder of F3 Future Females in Finance. Shares Not Shoes is a podcast whereby I interview some of my favorite people, all with one thing in common. They work in finance. We lift the lid on who they are, how they came into a career in finance, and arm you with some knowledge about why a career in finance could be a good fit for you. I will promise that all my guests will share some amazing personal stories, will be open and honest, and will inspire you. So, let's go. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the next episode of Shares Not Shoes, an insider's guide to careers in finance. I'm your host, Camilla Love, founder of F3 Future Females in Finance. Shares Not Shoes is a podcast where I interview some of my most favorite and most awesome people in the whole wide world with all with one thing in common. They all work in finance and today is no exception. We lift the lid on who they are, how they came into a career in finance and arm you with some knowledge about why a career in finance could be a good fit for you. I will promise you that all my guests will share some amazing personal stories and will be open and honest and will inspire you for your career. So let's go for today's episode. Please welcome Dania Zinirova. How are you, Dania? Hi, Camila. Good to be here. How are you? Really, really good. Thanks. Dania is a portfolio manager at Wilson Asset Management, and Dania focuses on analyzing and managing a diversified portfolio of real assets. Dania, tell me a little bit about what a portfolio manager does all day and what real assets are. Very exciting world, Camila. It's a very exciting world. Right. <laughs> I love that. Well, maybe let's start with real assets, um, or I call it often alternative assets. But to be honest, everyone kind of uses slightly different definitions. Alternative assets is probably the broadest definition, and it would include investing in real estate, infrastructure, Real assets such as agriculture, timberland, natural resources. It would include investing in private debt, real estate debt, and some other more niche strategies. So quite a broad space. And what I like to say when I define alternative assets, they're usually tangible assets that have value due to their substance. Mm-hmm. So most of the time we're talking about physical assets. Obviously, some exceptions are when we talk about private equity or investing in venture capital. As a portfolio manager, I have a very diverse list of tasks (laughs) during a day. So, um, you know, what I would would include in my daily activities, uh, meetings with uh, market participants. Mm -hmm. It could be fund managers managing investments in infrastructure or real estate or other asset classes within alternatives. It could be having uh, conversations with shareholders who invest in WMA. Mm-hmm. Um, WMA for everybody is a um, ASX listed uh, investment company. Thank so go, you. Go and look it up. Go and look it up. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Camille. Yes, it's um, Wilson Asset Management Alternative Assets Fund, um, and. Um, a lot of this is also about um, analyzing the underlying investments, understanding the maturity profile, the risk return profile, and then um, building this whole picture of the portfolio and understanding how the cash flow 
can be managed mm -hmm. within the portfolio so that we are always on the journey of making new investments and then exiting the previous investments that were made in the fund and then recycling the capital. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a very interesting structure specifically for WMA. It's the only listed um, LIC, i.e. listed investment company on SX that offers this diversified exposure to alternative mm -hmm. assets. Now, why are, why have an allocation in your investment portfolio to alternative assets? Number of benefits, Camilla, number of benefits. Um, one of the first ones that um, I talk a lot about is diversification. Mm -hmm. And in Australia, um, it would apply to both institutional investors and retail investors the tendency historically has been investing predominantly in equities. Yeah. Alternative asset classes have become more and more popular for institutional investors. And there was always a deep understanding why bringing it into portfolio diversification benefits. So asset classes like real estate, infrastructure, private equity, venture, they often have low correlation to equity risk premium. So that's a big word. Tell me what correlation is. Correlation is uh, when um, two series of returns uh, from different asset classes, let's say, if we plot return series or return um, data on a chart from a real estate strategy and an Australian equity strategy, if we're talking about the positive correlation, then we will see these data points moving together over time and yeah. showing a similar pattern. When we talk about low correlation, the pattern would be very different in terms of this data series. So from a portfolio management perspective, you would want to build a portfolio that has a good diversification mix. So let's say if you invest... 70% of your portfolio only in equities or fixed income. And then next year, um, the market experiences quite a negative um, downturn, then you are likely to have negative returns from your portfolio because it will be driving the return. Yeah, yeah. So it's always good to have a combination of different asset classes and look how you find the perfect mix, perfect balance in terms of the risk premium. In, uh, you know, a standard um, portfolio for an investor, for say, how much allocation would there be to alternative assets? Because I know, I mean, there's lots of coverage at the moment in venture capital and, you know, that space is really interesting at the moment. Like Lots of people are you know, can be making a lot of money from that segment. Yeah. Is it more risky in that, in the alternative asset space? Um, I wouldn't say so. Mm -hmm. So to answer your first question, the typical allocation when we look at an institutional investment portfolio, typical allocation to alternative asset classes can be somewhere from 15 to 30 percent mm, of the total portfolio. Yes. Yeah. And and you know that if you uh, look at some more sophisticated investors, they would have even higher allocation mm -hmm. to alternatives. Um, for the retail or wholesale market in Australia, 
that's a smaller allocation and it would be probably skewed towards asset class like venture capital or even someone's own home oh yes exactly so in some way everyone who owns home they would be property investors considered investing in residential property the perception of seeing alternatives in general as a high risk asset classes is not entirely accurate mm-hmm. i would say because within alternatives one can find a whole range of different strategies that would offer um returns ranging from very high risk high return um potential to low risk and low return potential and I, I can give some examples venture capital as you mentioned usually is considered as a high risk high return strategy within yeah. alternative something like investing in mature infrastructure would be considered as lower risk but also lower return yeah. strategy Absolutely. Now, stepping back a little bit because this podcast is about, you know, careers in finance. Yeah. And how did you get there? Tell like I know your background and and you know, your you know, we met when you were in London. Well, I was in London, and you were in London. Um both of which we were not in London. Yeah. We never grew up in London. You know, 10 even a little bit longer than that ago. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about where you grew up. You know, what made you you know, prick an interest in a career in finance and then how sort of you got to to London as part of your career? Long, long story. <laughs> long <laughs> story coming <laughs> So I was born in uh, the former USSR, um, which is, you know, now it's um, Russian Federation and then other former USSR republics. But um, it was very interesting period in the Russian history that I sure. I had uh, I had the, this opportunity to experience. So I was born um, pre Perestroika time. Mm-hmm. So Perestroika happened in 1990, and so I grew up experiencing um, communism to the full extent. And then within few years after Perestroika, our life in Russia um, started changing uh, rapidly. I, I always like to quote Lenin here yes, when he says, um, there are decades when nothing happens, mm-hmm. and then there are weeks when decades happen. And yeah. I think, you know, looking back at that period, that that was exactly what was happening. Um, many changes. And my father at that time, um, he he established his own business. Uh, it was in a completely different industry from finance. Um, it was in, in uh, metallurgy. Uh, but he worked a lot uh, with some... German steel plants. And so I had opportunities to travel with him to Germany when I was young. And a few meetings, he took me with him to a, ba- to, to a meeting um, at a bank. And How old were you? I think I was 14 years old. Wow. And it was a meeting, I still remember, in Munich, uh, Deutsche Bank, yeah. um, you know, this one of those like private clients uh, meetings. And uh, one of the senior representatives there in the team was a female. 
Right. And I just found it absolutely fascinating. Um, just, you know, seeing a female in this role and the whole world of banking and finance, I guess, was just so new to me and so exciting. But also seeing what's been happening in Russia during that period, how the whole banking system has been changing from being very centralized and controlled by the government mm -hmm. to moving more towards a capitalism-based banking system. And so, you know, I kind of had this interest, but at the same time, my true passion at the time mm -hmm. was learning foreign languages. Oh, really? <laughs> How many yes. languages do you, can you so speak? I, I started learning German when I was very young, I think yeah, right. like six or seven years old, and then English. And I always had this thirst for um, learning about new cultures and travel. And um, I, I remember I was telling my dad, you know, when I grow up, I want to be an interpreter. All right. And he would often take me to meetings with his German partners where I had the opportunity to interpret. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So that was interesting. Uh, when it came to making the actual decision, um, what, what I'm going to study at the university, to be honest with you, I was not ready or mature enough to make this choice on my own. I was, um, so we finished school in Russia at the age of 16, 17. Mm -hmm. And I don't think at that time I knew exactly what I want or I had enough information to make an informed cho choice. So my parents really helped me and guided me. And what my dad told me, he said, look, you can always learn foreign languages and learn more about new cultures and travel and just have this passion for your life. But you should really try to explore financial sector as your potential future career. Mm. And I thought, okay, that sounds interesting, you know, kind of combining two. Um, and that's, that's how it all started. So I, I did uh, study banking and finance in Russia. I started working um, for a private bank in Russia right. <laughs> in 2002. So I, I did currency trading. Uh, back then, before then deciding to do my master's degree in Europe and moving to Europe. But that, that I guess, was, you know, the journey for me. And I found it always very interesting to learn different aspects mm -hmm. of the financial industry because it's very diverse, uh, just working... Just saying, like, I work in finance doesn't say much. It's a very, very Agree. Uh, broad opportunity set. Um, and I think what what also contributed to to my confidence that you know, I knew if you work hard, uh, if you're inquisitive, you will achieve um, what you want. I had my two role models in that Russian bank. So the CEO of the bank and CIO, they were two females. Great. <laughs> Gosh, they were way before yes, their time. I know, I know. They were, it, it, it was quite, uh, quite an inspiration, to be honest, for me, uh, working for them, working with them. Um, and I, I think my confidence and my belief that females or female professionals can 
achieve um, their goals in this industry really kind of started at that time. And that's great because, I mean, it's the fact that Russia was going through so much of change at that point in time and that females were given the opportunity to take those roles, I would have thought that it would be entirely the opposite situation would occur. But I'm I'm, I'm really pleased to hear that yeah. That's, yeah. that's part of the, the story. Because I think it is really those formative years, particularly early on in your career, where a female role model can really um, change your outcome. Absolutely. 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 So you and I met in London when I was um, selling our global real estate capabilities yes, offshore. Right. So how did you how did you move from private banking into, you know, Russell and their, and then, you know, Towers Watson and going into more of a real estate and alternative yeah. asset space? Yeah. So after um, my initial career step with a private bank, I decided to do further studies. So applied uh, for a place at a European business school that had campuses in various places across Europe. To practice so, your language skills? To, to, of course, that was one of the, <laughs> of the key factors. Your interpretation? So I, uh, I chose Berlin and London mm-hmm. and went for the first semester to Berlin and then second in London. Obviously, being in London, being within a business school environment, triggered a lot of thinking and interest in investment banking because mm-hmm. everyone was talking at that time about investment banking, how exciting it is, what an interesting career. And uh, I was genuinely interested in it. And I went to an interview with one investment bank that doesn't exist now anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that was pre-GFC. <laughs> so, and that, that's, I think that's what I learned. Well, maybe that's the experience that I would really like to share with, with, with our audience that it's very important to think not only about your career and learn and gain information, but it's also really important to think about your own values, mm-hmm. personal values, professional values. And no, I know it takes time to get there, but start thinking about what's my purpose, what's my mission? Because this would really help finding a place, um, in particular at the start, that would be in line with personal beliefs, with personal values. And it's very, very important. And it can help you realize your impact Absolutely. and your legacy, Absolutely. really. Yes. Because you don't want to be working in a career for 20, 30, 40 years and look back on it when you're, say, retiring yes. and go, I haven't made what, well, like, I can't tell my legacy or I can't tell my impact. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and you know, I I remember this we interviewed so well. It was uh, with three senior investment bankers, and it it was going fairly well um, in terms of you know just talking the questions. And towards the end, one of them asked me, "So, you know, what's your goal in life? You know, when when you think um, in ten, fifteen years time, what do you want to look at and say, I did it, and." I um, told them, you know, a personal story. And I said, look, 
you know, this personal story led me to build very strong personal beliefs about my ability to contribute positively to our society and make a positive impact. Mm -hmm. It sounds weird, right? <laughs> Hearing it that I was talking about this like nearly 20 years yeah, ago. Yeah. But um, I, I will share with you the, 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 that personal story. The, the reaction that I saw on their faces was really very confusing. They laughed. Right. They laughed. They laughed. They laughed. They they found it absolutely but, funny. But that's you and putting your own <laughs> your 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 heart on yes, the line, essentially. Yes, yes. But um, you know, they just found it really funny, and they said, "Oh, this is yeah. Thank you so much." <laughs> and um, I then, you know, I continued with exploring different options. I continued going to meeting different people and learning about the industry, and that's when I found um, the team at Russell Investments in London. And I joined their team at that time as an intern and then did the graduate program with them. But their, their values as a company mm. uh, really resonated with my personal values so strongly that I feel like these were the best years in my career in this early career because I really thrived. I felt comfortable. I felt safe. And authentic. You could authentic, bring your, your exactly. authentic self. Yes, yeah. I could bring myself to work without trying Fear to pretend yeah. that I'm someone else. And it's totally important. Exactly. Yes. So I think really good to go out there, learn more about different companies, different roles, career paths, but also do this internal work, this thinking on what's really important to me, what are my values, and what would be the place where I can be myself and I feel comfortable being myself. And I absolutely totally agree because you can go into a workplace and you'll soon work out whether those values don't align. Yes. Because you'll, you'll feel miserable, essentially. Yes. Um, and we don't want that. No. And, and you, you know, with you, you spent, um, They're too long like at 70, work. 70% <laughs> of your <Exactly>. life <laughs> at work. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's too long. You can't, you can't not be able to bound out of bed every morning and go, yes, I'm going to work because it's it's too much of too much energy to be able not to do that. Yeah. I think. So tell me um how you made it to Australia. Like I'm so glad <laughs> you did. I'm so glad you did. Um but how did you make it to Australia? Um so Australia it's um you always it, wanted to come? You followed me? I, I wish I could say I've always wanted to come. It, you know it it was quite interesting to reflect back. I think um, unconsciously, I always wanted to come. Great. Um, and so when I was, I think I was 15, 16 years old, we had this series from Australia in, in Russia. Neighbors? And No, uh, <laughs> it was called uh, Return to Eden. All right. Return to Eden. Yeah. And so this um, series would always start with this view of the Sydney Harbour and Opera House. And I remember looking at this, I was thinking, oh, my God, this is breathtaking. Like, it still takes I my breath away. I hope I'll go one day, <laughs> you know. And then, <laughs> Are you going to live here? <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't know at the time, right? And 
then again, Australia came up when it was at Russell in London, and um, Russell had an office um, in Sydney. But you know, circumstances led um, to uh, to me staying in London for longer. And when I was working for Willis Stars Watson in London, they um, they were looking for a person to lead their private markets team in Sydney, and. It was really, you know, when when you talk uh, sometimes to me about like taking your chance, that mm-hmm. was this type of That's situation. I was uh, in the office. My boss was sitting next to me and talking to a recruiter in Australia and talking about the profile <laughs> of whom they were like, hire. Me. <laughs> and I turned to her and I said, you know what, maybe I should go and work in our office in Sydney. And she said, oh, my God. Maybe you should. Are you serious about this? And that's how it happened, really. I um, how lucky I, you. I know. <laughs> that is amazing. I came first uh, for two weeks just to you know explore. <laughs> and how many years later? <laughs> and now nearly, I think it's my ninth year. Yeah, in Australia, in Sydney. Yeah, so it's um, it's been incredible. It's it, it's been quite a journey. Yeah, um, it makes me feel a bit old. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about why, you know, looking back on your career today, why you think a career in finance is really rewarding? It's about really asking, again, like going back and asking yourself what's driving me, what's my purpose. And for me, it hasn't really changed I do strongly believe that we can all positively contribute to our society, to our planet in very different ways, regardless in what profession we are. Uh, For me in finance, when I think about shareholders or broader market, investors in the market, us professionals in this industry can ensure the end savers would get a better financial outcome. Mm -hmm. And they would have a more secure financially um, future and we would have less people struggling financially, more people understanding what it means um, to save and invest and to manage their finances. So it, it's a lot about this and I um, you know, have my heart in this. But at the same time, I also love um, investing in alternatives. I find it, this space, very dynamic, fascinating. Definitely. I love meeting, you know, people like you and people in our industry, very bright minds. It's just constant intellectual challenge that I experience and this motivates me. That's a critical reason about why I go to work every day, to be surrounded by really highly intelligent people who who are doing great things, you know, investing people's retirement money so that they can meet their own personal goals and retire more comfortably. I, you know, think that it is a highly dynamic, like you, industry to be in. Not one day is the same at all. And, you know, I, I too, you know, that, that the intellect in the finance industry is, is amazing. I just, yeah, I love it. We're very lucky. We, I, I think we're really lucky, really, really lucky. So what type of advice would you give to a person who would be keen to join the finance in- industry today? 
I would say be inquisitive. It's very important to keep learning. It's um, ever-changing industry, but also what my mentor often tells me, it's a T-shaped industry, that when you enter financial industry, it's very likely you'd start learning and uh, gaining more what what I would call vertical technical skills. Yeah. But in order to keep growing and progressing within within the financial industry, it's also important to think about the horizontal and you know build this T-shape <laughs> T-shaped skills. Just yeah, just so, mentioned the T yeah. as well. So and talking about, you know, building not only your technical skills but outside, you know, your your soft skills, your ability to go across multiple different asset classes, to yeah. be able to go with different client sets, for example. I think yeah, I think it's really critical. Um, yeah. and I can see that in myself going from much more sort of a, a specialist to much more a generalist that can yeah. cover across a whole bunch of different stuff. So what type of skills today? I mean, you talked about the technical skills and, you know, we've briefly always talked about, you know, in other episodes we talked about the the soft skills that are mm-hmm. required. Mm-hmm. What type of skills do you think are really critical to think about um, coming into the industry today? You know, I would say emotional intelligence. Oh, oh, so much. <laughs> that is so underrated. It is, but it's so important. It's so important. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I just, <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, I, I just think, and and you know, I, I, I hope you agree as well that it's, um, it, it's fairly easy to to learn and to refine the technical skills. Absolutely. Um. But then it comes to, in order, you know, to understand the trends, to connect the dots, to read the people, because regardless what asset class you choose to work in, let's say if it's equities, um, an analyst goes to a meeting with the management team of a stock that, that he's looking at. Now, the management team's task is, of course, to present the stock at the best possible, uh, in the best possible light and present the strength. As an analyst, you'd need to have skills to look beyond this, you know, what they call marketing wall. And I'm not saying they're lying. The BS factor. (laughs) Yes. And and so having this emotional intelligence skills, ability to connect with people, to read people, I think is very critical and very important to be successful in in the industry. Yeah, so I, I... the way I describe it is the street smart. So no matter, you know, you can sit there and get all the high distinctions you want, but if you if you don't have the street smarts to be able to put that technical um, ability into play in a really practical and pragmatic way, yeah. it's really hard to get ahead. It really is. Because what I see from my, in, you know, f- from my view is that those people who aren't overly the most like like high-minded, intelligent people but have this, you know, ability to see through the BS, to be able to put people together, to be able to create new yeah. things, they're the people that do the best in yeah. the industry. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I just want maybe to mention that in, in this, in, in our times now, I think we are going through quite a 
you know, transformational change within the industry where there is more inclusion, there is more diversity. And so, of course, there will be some people and, and you know, some people in, in our audience, there will be more analytical minded people and there will be people who feel more comfortable, you know, working with Excel spreadsheet. And there will be people who would be less comfortable doing this and they would want to leverage their, you know, EI skills mm. and go and connect the dots. And there is place in the industry for everyone. Everybody. Absolutely. It's, it, it's just incredible. It's not um, anymore what we used to think about the financial industry. It's a really broad church. Yeah. Absolutely right. And so it has, you know, it has people who are journalists in here. It has people who are mining and um, engineers and geologists. There yeah. are people who are, you know, we've met Jess and she's an optometrist, yeah, right? exactly. So, you know, it is a really broad church and there's lots of different skills that can come and be beneficial within the industry, which is, yeah. you know, part of what we're trying to do at F3 to say, you know, you you don't have to be a whiz at maths. No, absolutely. You, yes. you, you, you know, you can have a creative background, or you can have, you know, a, a background in sports, for example, and you can still find a, a home in yeah. the financial service absolutely. industry. So, um, yeah, I agree. So, I asked this question to all of our guests, um, but what is the best careers advice you've ever been given, and why did it impact you so much? The best career advice was um, from one of my uh, managers in London when she said, you know, be brave, take the opportunities and always move on to those new opportunities. And for me, that was also one of the factors that helped me making the decision to change the jobs last year. You know, I, I spent over a decade at Willis Stars Watson, and it wasn't an easy decision, but I was um, thinking a lot about those words, and I did feel fearful changing the job uh, because there were factors and there were um, specifics within the new role that I didn't know, and I didn't know how I'm going to perform in this role. And then I thought, well, this is it then. Um, this is where I need to be brave. Um, because I have this fear factor, um, I actually wanted to take the challenge and be brave and go and learn new things and acquire new skills. I think it's always very important to be mindful. You know, we as human beings, we tend to stick to our comfort zone. You know, but then the growth often happens outside comfort. Absolutely. So that that would be my advice to pass. <laughs> take a little bit more risk. Yeah, take a bit more risk. Be brave. I always yeah. say that, and really, I think I should do take more more risk. Really, <laughs> um, I definitely take risk in my portfolio, but not necessarily everywhere else. So what? So in that crossroads, like, how did you make yourself jump off that cliff of you know, take a little bit more risk? Yeah, well, I wouldn't call it like jump off the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe take um, like a step off the take, step. Take take step off the step. Uh, you know, because in essence, I was going for a role that would include the same asset classes that I know and that I love. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew I have the skill and I have experience to do this role uh, successfully and what made me more 
comfortable and confident was meeting the team, understanding where they come from, again, going back, learning about their values as the business, as the people, and, you know, seeing this drive that they have for success, um, the opportunity to take more responsibility and create this really attractive uh, offering and grow this offering in, in alternative space for the for the Australian retail investors. And all these factors in combination, um, they led me to, 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 to make this decision and to take the role. And you've never looked back? I've never looked back, no. Great. Well, <laughs> it makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. I love that. So at the end of every episode, Daniel, we do at least like quick fire round and where I throw a whole bunch of stuff at each of my guests and you've got to say the first thing. Getting nervous. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Remember, we can edit all this all out if you wanted to. But it's it's short and it's quick and it's, you know, it, it'll just give people a bit of an insight into who you are um, as well. So um, are you ready? Ready. Okay, good. Tell me a little bit about yourself that most people don't know. <laughs> um, when uh, I was in London working for Russell Investments, I applied for a role at MI6. Are you serious? <laughs> You're going to be a spy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> would you, looking back at it, would you be a good spy? <laughs> I was fascinated by um, James Bond, by, this, by James Bond, and <laughs> yeah, with all this those stories, and um, I was just really into it. And I really applied for a role for an analyst role there, and they sent me an email, really nice email, thanking for the application, but um, declining it because I had Russian passport. Oh, <laughs> and you're like, but I could be a double agent, right? <laughs> Oh, bummer. But then we would never have met, so that's perfect. Exactly. (laughs) Um, On my bucket list is? To travel to Africa and do safari. I would really love to do that. What's what animal? Which animal? Bucket list. (laughs) Yeah, not not for the next year, at least. I guess, it. you know, most of them just, you know, thinking about this beautiful continent and that I've never really been there, mm. but also worried about the climate change we're experiencing and not knowing whether it will be still there in its whole variety. So I'd, I'd really love to have this experience. Totally. I'm, I'll come. Okay. I'm definitely. <laughs> Deal. Because my mom, my mom took my brother when I was, I don't know, 20 something and never took me because he was like young. Mm-hmm. And um, I never got the chance to go. And I'm like, but hey, what about me? I want to go on safari as well. <laughs> but I would love to go. The zoo doesn't really crack Let's it. Do no. No. <laughs> uh, you know, and seeing them in their own habitat, I think, um, it's I think it's, yeah, yeah. critical. So the next one, if you had to invite anyone dead or alive to dinner, who would it be and why? I would invite um, Alexander the Great. Why? I find his history the is history, amazing. His, yes, the, the, his story and the history surrounded, like surrounding his time 
is fascinating how at that time he had the vision for the world. Absolutely. And he had the vision to build this uh, amazing um, you know, kingdom that he, to some extent, succeeded. And I, yeah. I just watched a um, documentary on him recently, oh, actually. Oh, really? so, Yeah. <laughs> Here you go. Yeah, there you go. Um, but again, a, 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 a totally another time. Right? Yeah, yeah. How do you think he'd go in today's society? Do you think he'd be equally as visionary? I don't think so. Yeah. I think um, to some extent, you know, the technology and easy access to information often takes away the vision. Yeah. Yeah. I can I think see our overload with information, we, Gosh, that's we are deep. becoming less visionary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the time frame, I think, of our decision makers are becoming a bit too short. Yes. <laughs> which is um, always disappointing. Um, summer, winter, autumn or spring? Summer. How would your friends describe you? Well, hopefully it's uh, bubbly and <laughs> loving adventure. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. Best uh, finance book that you've ever read? I wouldn't call it finance book. And I, it's it's my, you know, book to go back from time to time. But I really like reading it, The Principles by Ray Dalio. Oh, yeah. I think it's both finance and life philosophy book. Mm. He's. Um, I've given that book to multiple people yeah. as presents, but never read it. Myself. Never. Yeah. It's. So it's. I'm yeah. Really it's a really good one. Um, at the moment, I have FOMO for. Oh, gosh, I think I really have FOMO for like missing out on the summer season in Russia. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. Well, it's right. Now, it's nice. right? Yeah, it's and it's always such a nice summer there. Yeah, yeah, and family and, and family. And, yeah. yeah, I'd have FOMO for that. <laughs> in your shoes. What weird thing do you have in your handbag right now? Weird thing? Yeah. What uh, shouldn't be there or misplaced? <laughs> oh, probably a water bottle from my younger son. <laughs> <laughs> That's like three months old. It shouldn't be there at all. <laughs> um, if you were stranded on a desert island, what two things would you take with you? A book and uh, maybe some music. I don't know. What, would I what be allowed music? to take, like, iPhone with my music? <laughs> Everyone's – well, actually, people have said I'm going to take my phone. And I'm like, yeah, I could do the music on the phone, but then you'd have to call up people to take you home when you wanted to. Like, ah, I'm not quite ready to go home yet. Yeah, I'll say as stranded as possible. <laughs> Complete this sentence. A career in finance is? An exciting adventure. That's fabulous. <laughs> that's so good. And so with that, I think that is, um, that's a really great way to end our podcast today. So thank you very much for joining us and telling us some wonderful stories. And, you know, we've known each other for a while and it's nice to really hear your own personal journey and, you know, your ability to take risks and the fact that you wanted to be an MI6. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs>
Oh my gosh. Um, which I didn't know subsequently, <laughs> but now I do. Um, so our, all our listeners know that now. Um, hopefully, MI6 don't call you up and say, hey, let's come back in again. So thanks for telling us all about your career journey and being really open and honest about um, you know what a career in finance really looks like for you and what you do in your role. Because I think that you know being open and honest about it really can arm people with the knowledge and you know give people comfort into understanding what a career in finance looks like. So, thank you, Camila. No, thanks, Tanya. It's thanks a wonderful thing that you're doing this and sharing it with with the world. Thanks. We're just trying to change the world one talented female at a time. Don't you worry. <laughs> so thanks for joining us on Shares Not Shoes. And for more information on our guests on Shares Not Shoes and further episodes, head to sharesnotshoes.com. And for more information on F3 and what we do at Future Females in Finance, head to f3.com.au. So as always, I look forward to you joining us next episode where we continue to interview some of my most favorite people in the industry and give you the inside scoop on different careers in finance. Bye for now. The information that is in this podcast, we always talk about finance in this podcast, but it's not financial advice. It's actually really careers advice. If you really want financial advice, I recommend that you speak to a financial planner um, or a broker and um, work out your own personal circumstances with that. But this is all about careers advice and how um, finance will be a fabulous career for you.